Before I begin this morning, I just want to say it was such a gift to share in preaching this sermon series with uh, our young people of this church who led us in worship last week on the topic of relationships and how to help and receive help. And I was deeply moved and led deeper in faith, not only uh, from their worship leadership, but uh, through their vulnerability. And so I just want to say thank you to them. And it is such a great joy. Sarah R. and our entire youth team, thank you so much uh, for that great privilege. Friends, uh, our goal today in this sermon is not for me to solve grief or uh, to solve your grief. I think uh, grief is talked about in the world we live in. is something that maybe uh, we work our way through and then we are through it. But I think the spiritual path, uh, our faith, offers us a different way um, to travel the journey of grief. So my hope in my goal in this sermon is that we can have a conversation about grief that will lead us in, in a deeper way in our lives, that maybe we will have a different relationship with grief after our sermon, or at least be invited to have a diff, uh, different relationship with grief. I want to begin by telling you a story of a friend of mine uh, whose father got diagnosed with cancer many years ago. Uh, they ran tests in his hometown in upstate New York, and uh, he had a type of cancer that was sort of rare, and so they looked for one of the best specialists in the country to seek out treatment, and that specialist was in Atlanta. My friend lived in Atlanta, so she said to her father, why don't you move to Atlanta with me and my husband? You can stay in our house, we'll take you to treatment, uh, so that way you can have the best care in the entire country. Her father agreed, and so he flew from upstate to New York to Atlanta, and he began treatment, and he was in treatment for three months. And at the end of three months, they were doing all sorts of, all sorts of tests and labs, and all of the reports came back that the treatment wasn't really working. And they had a decision to make. And it was a really uh, difficult decision. And I just want to say, I'm projecting onto this story. It would be a difficult decision for me to make. Her father had the difficult decision to make about whether or not to continue with treatment or to go back home and to be surrounded by those that he loved and cared. And so he sat down with his daughter and he said, uh, the treatment's not working and I've made the decision. I want to go back home to upstate New York. And my friend said, dad, I understand. It's going to be hard, but I understand. So she got online that night and she booked two tickets from Atlanta to upstate New York. And the next day, she flew with her father from Atlanta to upstate New York and got him settled in, surrounded by, by his friends and all of their family there. Her dad died just weeks later. My friend says uh, every time she walks in the B terminal, Terminal B at the Atlanta airport, every time she walks into that terminal, she remembers that flight. And she said, but Matthew, every time I walk by gate 37, B37, I weep. Because that was the gate that we boarded our plane through. That's grief. Grief is our emotional response to a devastating loss in our lives. Grief is our emotional response to a devastating loss in our life. Loss like uh, losing a parent, or losing a friend, or losing a coworker, or even worse, 
maybe the worst of all, losing a child or uh, losing um, our homes. Some of you may live right here in the neighborhood. You know what it's like to lose your house in an instant or losing a pet or losing a job or uh, losing a relationship or losing a relationship as you knew it. Something has changed. Or uh, losing your youth, right? Can't go back and get it. Or um, losing your identity. You have retired. Now who am I? Uh, Your emotional response to those losses in your life is grief. And let me just say this. What devastates you may not devastate me. And what devastates me may not devastate you. So therefore, grief may be different for all of us. And grief may manifest itself differently in all of us. So grief may manifest itself in me as... I'm going to get this together, work really hard, and move on. Keep it at arm's length. (laughs) Grief may manifest like in my friend. B37, weeping. It may manifest in uh, you by saying, you know what, I don't want to deal with it. I'm going to go into a room. I don't want anyone to talk to me. I don't want anyone to knock on the door. And I just sort of feel numb. Like I know that I'm here, but I really can't feel anything. Grief is different for all of us. Right? But we all carry grief. All of us have experienced loss. For instance, we lost yesterday. You can't go back and get Saturday today. You can't go back and have the day that you had yesterday. Today is Sunday, and so you have lost Saturday. We've all lost something. The question for us is, how does grief How's grief made manifest in our lives? And the question is, what do we do with it? Because I believe that grief sort of hangs there. Society tells us that we will work through our grief. And I think that's sort of true until there are seasons in our life that remind us of loss. Like, for instance, you've lost, um, maybe you've lost someone really close to you. Maybe uh, your child is going to go to college, (laughs) right? Or maybe you've lost a child and you show up at a baby shower and then you see a balloon just like this and you don't know where it comes from. But the emotion comes bubbling back up. Or maybe there's a, uh, thank you, Mark. There is a reminder on your calendar this week. It's going to be dad's birthday. Or your best friend uh, from college, it was going to be their birthday this week. And you don't know where it came from. But just the reminder of those events in your life transports you back. And you are expressing your emotion of loss. Anyone who knows what it's like to be in grief, and maybe you're there this morning, it feels like when it bubbles up, it's the only thing that you can see. You can't see the world or your life or your relationships any other way. It literally is your lens to the whole world. So what do we do with our grief? How do we live our lives. You know, the world tells us um, that we should treat our grief a lot like this. Y'all remember this? Y'all remember these? Yeah? What is this? Cool. I'm glad we're on the same page. These are making their way back. Do you know how I know that? This is Elliot's Etch-A-Sketch. He got it for Christmas. The world teaches us that this is our life, and then things sort of pop up on it, right? Grief, loss, 
pain, job transition, you move it from one city to the next, you're sort of homesick, you lose uh, your partner, you lose your spouse, and the world, society tells us, take your three days of bereavement and keep all your grief out of the office, right? The world tells us, um, here, uh, things are going to pop up on your screen in your life, right? Just give it time. Just give it time, and it'll pass. And any of you who have suffered deep grief in your life, you know that's a lie. You know it's a lie. Because you have come to learn what a really wise friend of mine told me. Time does not have the power to heal. Time has the power to pass. But time does not have the power to heal. Time doesn't do the work of healing. Society tells us grief comes up on our screen and we should keep it over there. I'm fine. I know I'm a bit of a mess right now. But I promise I'll get it together. I am so sorry for these tears. I don't know where they come from. I seem like all I do these days is cry. We apologize for it. But society has told us, work on it, and it'll go away. But we know as people of faith that our grief doesn't go away. Our grief doesn't go away. Because when the pain of this world, the pain of our lives present itself to us, we can't just put away relationships and time and memories and sort of stick them in a closet and open the door on anniversaries once a year and say, now we'll remember. Grief doesn't work like that. So what is our tradition? What is our faith? What does the spiritual path offer us in terms of how to live with our grief? Uh, the book of Ruth is found in the Old Testament, and I think the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth and Naomi offers us a great path to how not only we can claim our grief, but how we are to live with our grief. Now, this is what I want to say before I read the text uh, this morning. The Hebrew language is always telling us the story before we read the story. The Hebrew language is nuanced. It has depth. It has... Um, it has character to it. And so I'm going to highlight some things as we go and read so that you can hear all the layers of this text. And I'm going to make some claims in the middle of this scripture reading that I think point us in a direction for how we are to live and interact with our grief. So I'm going to read uh, the first 22 verses. I'm going to read chapter 1. So listen now for the word of the Lord to all of us this day. So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. Let me be really clear. Let's remember, Bethlehem is literally, in the Hebrew, uh, the land of bread. So uh, there is no bread in the land of bread. And we should remember that when the judges ruled the land of bread, it was uh, very fragile. Leadership changed every other year, it seemed. There was always one person who was hungry for power, who would do anything in their power to disrupt the system and to take over. It was a very 
unstable region in the time of the judges in the land of the bread. The land of bread in Bethlehem, everyone is an Israelite. The Israelites know about uh, living in an unstable land. They know what it's like to go from famine and to be brought in to a new reality. So he and his wife and two sons left. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They were Ephraelites from Bethlehem in Judah. Naomi means uh, she was pleasant. His, their son's name, Malon literally is translated as sick. And Killian literally is translated as ailing. So this family from the land of bread has two sick and ailing sons, and they have nowhere to go, and they decide to go to Moab. Moab is their neighbor, and they are the arch enemies of the Israelites. I'll give you one line about the Moabites that should tell you all you need to know. The Moabites practice child sacrifice. This land, these people, this family, were desperate enough to leave the land of bread and to go to the land of their arch enemies to seek new life. Listen to what happens next. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons, sick and ailing. Sick and ailing took Moabite wives, wives of the enemy. And the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. If you move the R in Orpah, you get Oprah. That's exactly what happened in a hospital in Chicago a couple years ago. And you get Ruth who is a companion. So they took wives. One of them was a companion. When they had lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Chilean also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, the enemy, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. She knows this story. So she set out from the place where she had been living, and she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back, go back, each of you go to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. And then she kissed them, and she wept aloud. I think she wept aloud because she was trying to say, go back, save yourself from the pain in this life that I will have for the rest of my life. This is my lot, this is not to be your lot. You go find a better life for yourself. And they said to her, no ma'am. No, ma'am, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my wombs that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go 
your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you. Because the hand of the Lord has turned against me, then they wept aloud again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law to go her own way. But Ruth, the companion, clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, and you should do the same. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said this to Naomi. I'm not going to run away from my grief. I'm not going to run away from my pain. Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Because where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people, even if they're my enemies, shall be my people. And your God is going to be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there, there I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well. If even death parts from you. So when Naomi saw that Ruth was the companion, was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, back to the land of bread. And when they came to the land of bread, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And no way... And Naomi said, deep in her grief, in her pain, in her loss, call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity, calamity upon me? So Naomi returned together with Ruth, the Moabite, enemy, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a story. This is a story about someone who loses everything that they've ever known. This is a story about someone who has lost the world as they know it. This is the story about someone who has lost so much that they have to turn to the very last people they would ever want to ask for help from. This is a story about a woman who knows what it's like to have multiple funerals at the same time. This is a story about a woman who is so overwhelmed with her pain and her grief, she frankly just wants to cut bait and run in the opposite direction. This is a story of a person who knows what it's like to lose their beloved 
their partner and their spouse. This is a story of someone who knows the deep pain of what it means to lose not just one child, but both children. This is the story of someone who knows what it's like to lose the God they thought they had. This is the story of someone in their deepest pain who believes they have lost the very God they had staked their entire life on. This is a story about what we are to do when we find ourselves in those places in our lives. This is a story that offers us a path that we can't arrive at on our own. It's a story that reveals where the divine is to be found in our suffering and in our pain. It's a story about what we are to do with our grief. Ruth lost it all. And can you blame her? for wanting to go the opposite direction, to push all of that pain and sorrow and tears into a closet? Can you blame her for saying, God, you have dealt harshly with me? Can you blame her? I can't. I can't blame her at all. I can't blame her one But we learn from this text that uh, Ruth's pain doesn't stay, Naomi's pain doesn't stay there. Naomi's pain has to go back home. Naomi has to go back home and ask the question, who am I now? Because I'm not the same as I was when I left this place. Naomi says, I lost the world as I knew it. Now I have to figure out who I am as I know it. Not many of us would sign up to go on that journey, right? If I asked you this morning to raise your hand if you want to go on a journey like that, I can't imagine any of us would sign up for it. That doesn't mean that we don't find ourselves there. All of us will find ourselves in Naomi's path at some point in our lives. We will lose someone that we love, we will lose something that we love, something that we have staked our entire life on will change. And we will ask, what am I to do with it now? It's easy as people to want to take the suffering of our lives, to take the pain of our lives, and to keep it at arm's length. But I think, my dear friends, when we keep the suffering and pain of our lives at arm's length, then we are denying ourselves what it means to be fully human. Stephen Colbert sat down with Anderson Cooper uh, many years ago. They sat down for a conversation about what it was like to lose parents as young men. 
Anderson Cooper, uh, we all know his story. His, he lost his mom at a young age. Stephen Colbert lost his father at a young age. Anderson Cooper said to Stephen Colbert, I've seen uh, where you've given interviews and you said, uh, while you would have never chosen to lose your father, your pain has been one of your greatest teachers. How can good come from your pain, Stephen? And Stephen said, well, Anderson, I would never have chosen to grow up without a father. I've never chosen what happened to my dad to happen to anybody. But if I deny myself the pain in my life, I am denying what it, myself my full humanity. And he said, let me say it to you this way, Anderson. It is my pain that I carry that unites me with other people's pain in the world. Because pain and loss and grief is it will never spare a single soul. So Anderson, it has taught me about what it means to be a person, to care and to love for the world in a different way. That's how my grief has been my teacher. That's what it means to carry your grief your entire life. It sounds like Stephen Colbert has made friends with his grief rather than pushing it into a closet. And I think we all have, uh, we're all tempted, right, to not make friends with our grief. And then there are moments in our world that sort of illumine this truth for us, like uh, when someone famous dies. I walked in uh, the back door of our home last Sunday, Sarah's sitting there working on a project, and she said, did you hear? And I said, hear what? She said, Kobe Bryant died. And I said, what do you mean Kobe Bryant died? I, 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 think, I think you misread that. She said, no, really, Kobe Bryant died. I said, but Kobe Bryant was our age. And she said, he was a little older than us. And I said, yeah, but you get the point. Like, <laughs> why? Why? And I felt the emotions of grief well up in us. I had never met Kobe Bryant. I had never talked to Kobe Bryant. We did not text. Why did I feel this? I think it's because we all carry grief that we don't know that we carry all the time. Maybe Kobe Bryant wasn't your person. Maybe Princess Diana was your person. Maybe it was Robin Williams. If my Nana were in the room, I would say, maybe it was Elvis for you, right? There is a reason that we we make memorials when someone that has been in our orbit dies. It's why, why there's a square in Los Angeles right now that has more flowers in it than they will ever know what to do with. It's why that when we watch the Super Bowl tonight, there will be one of the most stir stirring tributes to Kobe Bryant you've ever seen. It's why when in the days after Princess Di died, the queen couldn't believe how many flowers were out in front of the palace. It's when those moments happen, it's like a window is opened and it's like whoosh, A little bit of the grief gets let go. So my question for us then is if we are to learn from Naomi and the invitation from Ruth, not to run away from our pain, but to promise ourselves that we will go through our pain, and if we're reminded in the words of Ruth that God is with us in 
every step of our life and even the deep, dark nights of the soul, my question is this. What would change in your life and what would change in our world if we saw our grief is not something to be shaken and erased, but what if we saw our grief as holy? What would change in your life in this world if you saw your grief is not mad, sad, bad? But what if you saw it as holy? How might that change the way you see the world? I think it may mean that we will look up at some point in our life and see what we couldn't see the entire time. That our grief and our life, our life has grown around our grief. And it's been present with us the whole time, even though we couldn't see it. And I think that we will look up and we will see our grief. And one day we'll be walking down the B terminal and we'll say, there's my friend, grief. It's made manifest in tears. I remember that afternoon, I walked my dad to B37 the last flight we will ever take together. It would have been his birthday next week. Man, he was incredible. I remember all that was good and holy about him. And I still remember the things that he did that really annoyed me a lot, but man, do I miss him. Friends, the spiritual path invites us to make friends with our grief. To recognize that it will hang and be with us for all of our days and that our lives will grow around it. So that when those emotions made manifest come and pour through us, we will recognize the holiness, not only of our lives, but of our loss. I think that's what Naomi invites us to. Will you pray with me? God, you have promised to be with us all of our days, that there is no place in this world, no place in this life, no place in all of creation that will cause us to be separated from you. So help us to trust that even in the dark seasons of our lives that we may see your divine image made manifest in one another so that we can shine your light to the whole world. But we pray in your holy name.